Phil Barry is the founding director of Independent Corporate Finance and Economics Advisors, TDB Advisory. He's also a former New Zealand councillor economic to the OECD and a current member of the International Monetary Fund's panel of fiscal experts. He's been strategic counsel over the years to the Taxpayers' Union and has even been known to pinch our staff on occasion. But we'll put that aside and forgive you, Phil, for the purposes of today. Thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. Thanks, thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. You've written a piece for staff in the Dominion Post this week where you argue that the New Zealand government's owned businesses or businesses owned by the government are underperforming. And you sort of don't quite say it, but appear to make the case for the government getting rid of them. Um, Why do you say, firstly, they're underperforming? Well, we like to let the numbers do the talking, Jordan, and the numbers here are pretty clear. Um, And they're not our numbers, they're the Treasury's numbers. They came out of their investment statement, which they publish every four or five years. And basically they present a pretty clear picture. The, the government owns about 18 large businesses, um, three electricity companies, an airline, a bank, courier company, and a few other odd, odds and sods, if you like. The Treasury looked at the performance of the 100% government-owned businesses. Yep. So there's about That's the 18, you mean, the big ones. The 14 of those 18 are 100% okay. government-owned. And the balance the other, being the, the sort other. of John Key model of, of partially floated. Exactly. So what used to be called the mixed ownership. So they're 51% government-owned, roughly, majority government-owned, and the rest is listed on the stock exchange. Um, what's really interesting is those 100% government-owned ones have been underperforming. They've been achieving total shareholder returns of around 6% per annum on average over the last 10 years. And that compares with the private sector um, NZX50 return over the same period of about 14% per annum on, on average. So what you're saying is um, that you have a benchmark in the market over the last 10 years of the NZX listed companies. The partially listed or mixed ownership model have done better than the fully government-owned ones. Is that a case of John Key selling the best-performing or is, the, is there, are you saying that there's a causa, uh, causation effect that because those companies were partially floated, they are doing closer to the market? Well, those mixed ownership model companies, the Meridians, Genesis, um, Mercury and Air New Zealand, um, on average, they've achieved returns of about 12% per annum over the last 10 years. Does Air New Zealand pull that down significantly? Yeah, I mean, Definitely does. Okay. But it's still 9.7% over the um, 2011 to 2021. That's not a, I mean, you know, that's that's not a basket case compared to, say, New Zealand Post, which um, is a money hole, or um, or Kiwi Rail, which is not, which is no longer an SOE, is it? Uh, which one was that? Kiwi sorry? Rail. Kiwi Rail. Actually, it is, strictly speaking, still an SOE. It's listed in the schedule of the Act, but it's regarded by successive governments, not just the current government, but but even but previous one as well, as having mixed objectives and the Treasury well, excluded. It's a liability. Point. It's not an asset. Like every every other budget you go to, 
Actually, I'll never forget, um, sorry to go off on a tangent, when the first day out of level four lockdown or level three lockdown the first time around back in 2020, we came back to the office because the first day out was budget day. And I'll never forget the night before staying in a hotel in Wellington when it was utterly deserted because there was only one. You had to fly down the day before to go to the budget because there was only one flight a day. And there was a very chuffedly looking uh, CEO of Kiwi Rail with surrounded by New Zealand's most expensive corporate lobbyists having dinner at a um, at it was it was the Ridges, which was just about the only hotel open at the time. And I remember thinking, that's what the smoke-filled rooms look like in New Zealand. And the next day, I can't remember how many hundreds of millions it was. Mm-hmm. And it just it that's the business that rail is now. How much can you extract from the government? Which is why when I saw it wasn't listed here, I assumed that it was no longer an any so well, I mean just the government's put a billion dollars per annum in each of the last three budgets into Kiwi Rail. And yeah, you've got to ask the question of for what for what purpose. I want to be devil's advocate here because you refer to the IMF's findings based on what was it, a sample of almost a million company, uh, companies across one and a hundred and nine countries of businesses um, 100% owned by the government and uh, say that it's not an unique to New Zealand. Mm. The facts are that businesses owned by government tend to do poorly. But I want to push back a little bit. Isn't there a valid argument that a lot of these companies are providing, at least in part, a public service element? I mean... TVNZ, which mm. you list here, it's, mm. it's literally got a 0.0% return over 10 years. But even, um, even uh, say, the airports, Hawke's Bay Airport, uh, Christchurch International mm. Airport, mm. those do provide a public service in a way. Is it unf- isn't it unfair to compare them to market competitors? Well, three points on that. Jordan, the first thing is, for the state-owned enterprises, it's worth remembering that their statutory obligation, their primary objective, is to be as successful as comparable private sector companies. So clearly the Treasury's numbers are telling us that's not happening. Second second point, though, is if the government does have these multiple objectives, then it is actually supposed to, under the legislation, to provide explicit subsidy, a contract, for the provision of those services. Okay. It doesn't, of course, So it's do transparent. That. Exactly. Yeah. And what's happening now is it's not transparent. What are these multi, you know, so-called social objectives? And then the third thing is, of course, well, are there better ways to achieve them than owning a business? We know that it's costing the taxpayer hundreds of millions of dollars per annum by having these underperforming companies. Mm. If they were performing commercially, put another way, the government would have hundreds of millions of dollars more to spend on its health, education, other objectives. If you were sitting in a trade union's office right now, our, our, our very good friends in the trade union movement, as opposed to the taxpayers' union, they would say, but it isn't fair that, let's continue the example of the airports or, um, mm. uh, um, or, or, no, or even the power companies, it would be unfair if New Zealanders had to pay more for these services because Phil Barry's saying you need to earn a market return. Now that's um, isn't like from a from a total you know overall well-being is the mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. fashionable phrase now, mm-hmm. but in terms of the benefit mom and pop taxpayer get, doesn't it just come out in the wash? 
not at all. Um, look, we know that productivity is necessary. We know New Zealand has major productivity problem, has had for decades. We know, and the IMF's evidence that you referred to here is pretty clear, private sector firms are more productive. If we want to have um, wealth in this economy, if we want to have a growing economy, and we want to be able to afford the kind of living standards that New Zealanders expect, we need to have greater productivity. Why tie resources up in state-owned businesses when running the business is arguably not a core function of government? It's what the private sector is good at. So you'll say they're either fat or have a cost basis that would probably be removed or be more efficient if they were solely private? It's a question of what works and what doesn't work. It's, a, it's not a question of ideology or beliefs. It's just a practical question. What is the government good at? What is the private sector good at? Private sector's good at running companies. Government's good at running the nation. So, I mean, I agree with you, but I've got to, you know, I want to be, want to be fair to the, the other side. Uh, let's look at something like Air New Zealand. So in New Zealand, if the government wasn't, and I appreciate the irony talking about this now with the recent uh, uh, recapitalisation, which as far as I can tell is basically a punt on the degree to which this government will continue to write checks on it. Mm. Um, and I was amazed in here just how small the valuation is compared to, say, the energy companies, which is $903 million. Mm. And that's just mm. comparing to Meridian, uh, nearly $7 billion, well, eight, eight times more. The... Uh, but you would argue that even for something like Air New Zealand that is iconic, um, provides essential services or a degree of um, uh, positive externality to the regions, ensuring it's still flying to Gisborne, for example, or the um, East Coast, mm -hmm. you would argue that even New Zealanders would overall be better off if that was sold. We're looking at um, the performance of these companies, and we know that... On, an, on average and over time, private sector firms perform better than public, public sector-owned ones. There's always exceptions, of course. Some public sector firms can do well for a period, and, and of course some private sector firms do very poorly and bail. Mm. So we're talking about the big picture here. You've averaged it over 10 years, and it's, it's all of them. Multiple countries. And, and, of course, as you said, the IMF's done a much, much bigger study. The evidence from New Zealand is fully compatible with that IMF evidence. I think the, the, the graph really told the story there, that consistency, uh, uh, you know, the consistency over the period, mm. that mm. Um, the vast majority of years it is the NZX average company growth much higher, and then what about... 20% lower is the, list, is the government listed or the mixed ownership, and then sitting at about half the return is the government un, un, unlisted companies. It's, I, I think it's very compelling, but certainly the public isn't, um, isn't with us on that. I, I wonder sometimes if the public really even know or cares what, whether their electricity company is publicly owned or privately owned. I mean, how many people out there get their bill from Meridian know that Meridian is actually 51% owned by the government. Yeah, well, that's the great... I mean, that's the, that's the great thing about the market is, you, I mean, you, you never understand quite the way everything fits, but the consumer will chase the most... Of the gen in general, um, chase the, the best deal. The, the other two things that really stand out for me is that trans power is so high at 12.4% 
um, being in the top, what, the top quartile of um, of the government-owned businesses mm. in terms of the returns, and yet that is a natural monopoly, fully regulated by the Commerce Commission. It has a um, price quality regulation. And yet below it are the competitive companies, mm. which you would expect typically to have higher returns because they've got a higher asset beta and are, are more risky, and yet they're lower. So that actually suggests that if you're the monopolist that's regulated and therefore generally in the market are valued higher because they're stable, a lower uh, percentage return on capital, it's sort of the other, w other way around. I mean, to pick up New Zealand Post, and this is the question I want to get into, is how do these directors or these, uh, the management in these companies that are so clearly underperforming, and I'd mm. put to you New Zealand Post as, the, uh, as a perfect example of that. During COVID, they were literally getting handouts from the government to survive, and yet its main competitors, your freight ways and main freights, were having record profits. Mm. Because mm. when your job is to deliver packages, mm. and everyone's at home, and you've got record volumes, mm. only a government-owned company could somehow turn that into a problem rather than, um, rather than make hay. So my question is, how do we hold these uh, these people that claim to be business people mm. that clearly are not, mm. how do we hold them to account and uh, their feet to the fire? Mm. Well, it's a good question. And, and, and again, just experience and the evidence suggests it's not easy when, when the um, entity is government-owned. The, the appointments of the board, of course, are made by ministers, so there's, there's questions about whether there's well, I mean, influence. On, on post, and wasn't course, wasn't Mike Williams on that yeah. on that board? I mean, what business experience he has in post or banking, which is their other, the other scary side of that business, mm. I, I'm open to submission. Well, the question's there. And then the other big question is, or the big limitation is, that these companies, of course, being 100% government-owned, are not subject to the threat of takeover. And that threat, that discipline, if you like, um, is always at the back of the mind. Just run me through a, that. How does that change behaviour of, of, of directors or management? Just run me, thr run me through that, yeah. Roger. I mean, it's simply that, at the end of the day, if they're not... There's two things. A listed company, of course, has a share price out there. Yeah. And that share price isn't evident, isn't visible. It doesn't exist for the 100% government-owned mm. entities. And that share price, of course, fluctuates, but over time, it's an indicator of performance. Yeah. And if that share price goes low enough, if that company's not performing well enough, then someone else can come in, buy the shares, change the board, mm. change the strategy of the company, turn it around. With a state enterprise, that discipline, that threat is not evident. It's not, not possible. In fact, I can't think of that, for, as I w work through this list, I can't think of that occurring to any of these. It only happens when there's sort of a political problems blow up with them rather than, rather than financial. And the one that, um, uh, that I, mean, yeah, I mean, TVNZ, fencing having a 0% return over, over 10 years. Um, but, yeah. <clears throat> so... If you were advising uh, Christopher Lux, and I, I'm going to assume that Grant Robinson um, doesn't uh, uh, subscribe every week to the Taxpayer Union po podcast, but if there is a national MP listening to this, and I know there's, um, there's one or two subscribed, and you had to pick in terms of best bang for buck 
to protect taxpayers from continuing to plough money into something something silly, um, subsidise um, courier posts, for example, or um, get something off the books that could really take off. What would be your recommendation if if the, if the National Party came to you and said, look, we've only got political capital for one or two of these companies? <laughs> look, we're not in the business of political advice. We're, we're in the business of corporate finance and economics. And I think there you come back to strategically which are the, the, the largest and which are the highest risk. So would you I think you'd, you'd look at the, the, the mixed ownership model companies where government still owns 51%. Why would be the question. We know it's a, a, a market. There are 100% com- privately owned companies out there like Contact and like Trans- mm. uh, Trustpower. Um, why is the government still own 51% of these companies? Um, of course, the government's now facing uh, a debt problems again. Not major, yep. but yeah, no, no, we, we know about the loom. debt monster. We talk about it a lot. Yep. So, hey, isn't this a win-win, Mr. And I'm not again. It's not a question of which party we're advising. We give exactly the same advice to Mr. Robertson. Here's an opportunity to pay down the debt, strengthen your balance sheet, and potentially improve the eco- the productivity of the economy. Seems to me it ticks a lot of the boxes in terms of well-being. Let me put it. Let me be devil's advocate, though. Couldn't you argue that the mixed ownership model actually brings the government not up to market, but actually isn't the real question? Is what's that if those assets are sold? Is what is that capital used for? And if it's simply to go into businesses that are fully government-owned, then actually we're going backwards from a from a productivity point of view, isn't the bigger issue to actually get more, at least partially floated, so you've got some market discipline on them, as opposed to going the full hog on the ones that John Key applied, the mixed ownership model. Um, although I guess actually, no, when you look at it in New Zealand, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong there. But I want you to identify one or two that you would pitch if you were called into... Mr. Robinson's office or Mr. Luxon's office or Nicola Willis's office. Um, give me the your uh, pitch for which one you'd sell. Uh, look, it's, it's, it's not that simple, but again, as I said, I think you'd take a strategic perspective here. Look at the big ones, look at the high risk. So Transpower definitely ticks the box in terms of being a big one, would be very, very um, marketable. Yeah, it's secure, secure regulated returns. Argument is it's a monopoly, so it shouldn't be privatised. Well, what about Vector? You know, that's a mixed ownership model. It's listed on the stock exchange. Yeah. It's the trans, it's the local Auckland equivalent of Transpower. It's almost like, in fact, the the regular the price quality regulation is almost yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another one you'd, you'd, you might look at is is Christchurch Airport, where the government still owns twenty five percent of that. Sold at stake in Auckland Airport, Wellington Airport. Doing just life fine. Goes, life goes on. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Landcorp, why is the government owning, got $2 billion, or sorry, $1.4 billion invested in farming? At a 0.4% return uh, over 10 years, 0.4%. And this is the time when there's been appreciation in property values across the board. Dairy prices. It's incredible, isn't it? Mushroomed. I honestly am puzzled by that one. Phil, we've got a lot of work to do to um, firstly convince the, um, the, the Nats to go a bit um, harder and faster on this. 
but secondly, change the political weather on on this because it isn't selling the family silver. Mm-hmm. It's um, I, I, I come back to the original point that a heck of a lot of these are actually liabilities, far from um, far from slapping the word asset over the top. They can be rust, not silver. It's a very good metaphor. I'm going to take that. Um, Phil Barry, thanks for joining Tax Power Talk. Thanks, Jordan.